Welcome to Tuned to Yesterday, delivering programs from radio's golden age. I'm your host, Mark Levanier, with you for this hour of horror. Later on, we hear a scary story on the mysterious traveler, but right now it's the Hermit's Cave with the tale Spirit of Vengeance, broadcast in the early 1940s in syndication. The Mummers in the Little Theater of the Air. You misconstrue my words. Hmm? <laughs> Stop it. Oh. <laughs> Draw up your chair closer to the fire. Rosa, my dear. Think on the pleasant things. You'll forget all about the storm outside. Think on pleasant things. As if I ever could. Oh. After all that has happened in this house in the last three days. I'm thankful for the thunder that drowns out your words. Who is there in this house to hear us? Who is left here but Carter, who's in on your horrible schemes? My dear, I thought you'd learn to appreciate my experiments before this. Appreciate the terrible things you and Carter were doing? Carter's a very clever assistant and servant, my dear who desires life more than... Carter was a fiend, and so are you. Oh, it must be ten o'clock. Thank heaven. Why are you thankful for the hour of the night, hmm? There will be no visitors tonight. No one will be stopping at this house of murder tonight. Are you sure no one will visit us, hmm? Then there is someone coming. No man knows what the next hour may bring. Ramon. Do not get upset, my dear. Cardo will do the honors. Come in. Yes, Cardo? A gentleman and a lady wait outside in the hall, Professor Santos. So? They find themselves confused by the storm. Confused? You mean deliberately... Rosa, please. Cato, what you wish to convey to me is that the gentleman and lady have lost their way. Oh, Ramon, please send them on their way. Send away specimens? <laughs> but, my dear, the way you talk, one would think that specimens were easy to get. Huh, Cato? And hmm? these two are good ones. <laughs> then why are you waiting? Show the strangers the kindness of our shelter and hospitality. Oh, no, Ramon. Oh, Cardo. Show the strangers into the library, Cardo. Yes, Professor Thomas. The professor desires that you enter the library. This way, please. Yeah, this is certainly nice of you. Come, Bella. Step inside, please. Good evening, sir. My wife and I... Now, now make no apologies. Cardo, you will prepare a room for the visitor? At once. Ah. Won't you... Sit down. Thank you. Here, Bella, you take this chair. Thank you. And you'll pardon me if I do not rise from my chair. You'll perceive that I walk with a cane, and even then with some difficulty. Please don't go to any bother because of us. As soon as the storm is over, if you could tell us the way to the next village, we'll be on our way. It isn't necessary to prepare a room for us. No, we'll be on our way. Surely not in this like this. It's strange country to us. Then we saw the road was closed and we took the right fork as we thought the sign said. It brought us right here to your door. The road didn't seem to go any further. 
Now, if you'll just direct us, oh, we... But, but, but I, I wouldn't hear of you stepping out again. But, Bellerin, I hate to be a bother. Not at all, not at all. Now, are you getting dry, Mr... Uh, uh, yes, thank you. My name is uh, Richard Kenton, my wife, Bella. Delighted, Mrs. Kenton, yes, delighted. Kenton? Kenton? That was the name, my dear, Kenton. May I present my wife, Rosa? I am Professor Roman Santos. How do you do? How do you do, Mrs. Santos? How do you do? Now that introductions are over, may I say that you're welcome here? Thank you. Yes, indeed. One hardly expects to find a lovely estate like this, hidden away from everything. A refuge for tourists who've lost their way. Have you come a long ways? Indeed we have. Nearly 500 miles from home. Oh, really? We're really quite upset, too. Our only daughter, Lisa, was married a month ago. She and her husband, Charles, went for a tour of this country for their honeymoon. They persuaded Richard and I to meet them at Minwell. That's the next village. Yes, yes. Uh, Minwell is the next village. But we haven't heard from them. Uh, I don't understand. Well, what my wife was trying to say is that we planned to meet Lisa and Charles at Minwell. This morning we wired them to let us know if they are waiting in Minwell. We received no answer to our wire. Well, maybe we didn't wait at our hotel long enough to receive an answer. Well, we hope that's what it oh, is. No doubt that is what happened. I, I shouldn't worry. You'll have a good night's rest here, and I wouldn't worry about tomorrow. Now, don't worry at all. I was anxious to get to Minwell tonight. You know how mothers are. Ever since we left home, I've had a strange presentiment that, that something was going to happen to Lisa and Charles. Oh, now, Mother, I'm sure Professor... Uh, Santos? Uh, Professor Santos wouldn't mm -hmm. mind if we use his phone to call the hotel in Minwell. Oh, certainly not. Uh, thank you. Now, if you just show me where... However, that will be impossible tonight. But I... Uh, the storm has broken down our outside wires, and I'm afraid my servant, Carter, will not be able to locate the trouble before morning. Oh. Oh, but it will soon be morning. You'll soon be in Minwell. You'll soon find that your daughter and your new son are waiting for you quite unharmed. Of course, Mother. You're unduly alarmed. I can't help being anxious. You know how it is if you have children. I am pleased to say we have no children. Oh? And you are a professor of uh, philosophy, perhaps? Medicine. Well, surely you don't practice. There are so few houses about. You seem to be shut off from the rest of the world. I devote my time to science. Oh, I should have known from all these books. Professor Santos experiments with the human heart, the human body. What? Oh, <laughs> oh sir, my dear, you speak very bluntly tonight. It, uh, it's quite true, I... I hope someday to find a certain answer to an ageless problem. You mean that you expect to discover a way to make the heart beat on forever? Exactly. Quite right. Mm. You rang, Professor Santos? Yes, Cardo. Will you show Mr. and Mrs. Canton to their rooms? I'm sure they're very weary. Oh, well, a lot of bother. No, not at all. Cardo will serve you tea, hot milk, anything you desire. But I would suggest you don't eat too heavily, as you as you might not sleep too well. However, just make your wishes known. Hmm? Oh, don't get up from your chair, Professor. I will show my guest to the door. Ah, look out the window. Storm is gone. There's a moon pushing its way through the clouds. Richard, we could drive on tonight. Ach, nonsense. In the morning, I can show you the beauty of my estate. And now, uh, good night. Good night, sir. And may your dreams be pleasant ones. Good night. Cato, take good care of our guests. Take very good care of them. You know who those people are. You know who those two are. Quiet. My hearing is good, Rosa. The mother and the father. Yes. What are you going to do? I'm very fortunate, don't you think? You're insane. Yes, very fortunate. <laughs> a stroke of luck. You are mad. And you are a coward. Furthermore, stop dabbling in my affairs. Stop. Don't come near me. The mother, the father, out of the way. There'll be no searching for the other two. Mad. 
You grow more mad each hour. <laughs> what is it Carter would say? It is easy to convince a wise man, but to reason with a fool is a difficult undertaking. Cato, I was just speaking your name. Cato, what would you say if I were to tell you that the mother and father of the young lady, Lisa, were guests in our household? Hmm? I would say, Professor Santos, it is too late to pull the rein when the horse has gained the brink of the precedent. Oh, <laughs> good, well spoken. The time for stopping the leak is past when the vessel is in the midst of the stream. Superb, exactly. <laughs> Nothing should deter us from such wisdom. Nothing. Certainly not my good wife also. Uh, what, what are you going to do with me? Do not worry, my dear. Cado, you will escort Rosa to the laboratory. To the laboratory? No. Your knife may be of assistance. Rosa, you will follow Cado. At once, at once to the laboratory and await me there. What's the matter, Bella? Why are you poking around everywhere? Richard, I have a strange feeling about this place. Somehow I, I don't like it here. Don't like it here? Beautiful room like this. The man and his wife. There's something wrong there. And, and, and that cardo gives me the creep. The professor and his wife are cultured people, Bella. Oh, your nerves are getting the better of you. I'm worried about Lisa and Charles. They'll be worried about us because we aren't in Minwell tonight. Oh, they'll have sense enough to know we'd stop along the way in such a storm as we've had tonight. Oh, try and sleep, Bella. We'll be on our way first thing in the morning. Everything is going to be all right. Don't worry, Bella. We'll try and sleep. Oh, Quick work of this. 
over to the other side of the bed card hall. The woman will be my patient. Then I give you the word, make quick work with a knife. Ready. All right. Now. <laughs> Professor Santos. There's no one in this bed. But we saw their forms under the bedclothes. Yes. With our own eyes we saw them. Only a second ago. Now there is no one here. This is impossible. No one in this bed. We've slashed the pillows with our knives. They've escaped, but how? I saw them in this bed. What's happening? Cardo, quickly, to the laboratory. Hurry, I'll follow. They've gone. Yes. Mother, we're in the house of a madman. Get your robe quickly. Don't stop to dress. We've got to get out of here. They came to this room to kill us. Yes. How did you know that they were coming? Lisa called to me. That scream, it was Lisa. She's in this house. Oh, but she couldn't be. We've got to follow those two. Find her. But how could Lisa be here? Somehow she crept to this room. She warned me to get out of bed, and then she vanished. Hurry, something terrible has happened to her. Which way shall we go? Didn't you hear him say they were going to the laboratory? Well, everything's quiet now. Look, here's a stairway. It must lead to the laboratory. Oh, Lisa and Charles. What have they done to them? Up the stairs. Hurry. I, I don't hear anything in the house now. Yes. No need to be quiet now. We've got to have this out. So. How very convenient. You decided to pay a visit to my laboratory. Where's our daughter? Perhaps this is the best way after all. I said, where is our daughter? Your daughter? You told me this evening she was in Minwell. She's here somewhere. Yes, she came to our room. Nonsense. I heard her whisper to me, and then she vanished. Well, <laughs> Now we have prestidigitation to add to our entertainment, huh? Where is Lisa? Where is Charles? My dear man. We know that you came to our room to try and kill us. We're not afraid of you or your cargo. That is interesting. We heard Lisa scream. What have you done with her? My dear guest, the screaming came from my wife, Rosa, who now sits over there in that chair, bound and gagged. I assure you, you will hear no more screaming tonight. We're not going to be put off. Lisa and Charles are in this house. Father, look. Look. Lisa's purse. That's Lisa's purse lying there on that table. Yes. My girl, what have you done with her? That's her purse. She's in this house. I heard her whisper to me. What have you done with her? Carter, we've had enough of this hysterical scene. We shall end this cross-examination now. At your orders, Professor Santos. Now listen to me, you two sniffling nobodies. I told you earlier this evening that I am a scientist. Rosa went further. She told you that I experimented with a human body. That's very true. Now I shall experiment with you. Why? It would have been easier had you allowed us to creep into your room and end your lives painlessly, quickly. But no. You, in your clever wisdom, sought to outwit us by making us believe that there were two forms lying in the bed. <laughs> Are you prepared, Cardo? Yes, Professor. But now you walk right into our laboratory. Very convenient. <laughs> Very convenient. Oh, you let go of her. Cardo, take care of the gentleman. No, you Professor Santos thrust the knife through his heart. 
she's coming for me. Father, Lisa has killed them both. Lisa? Lisa? No, they're leaving. Lisa, Charles, don't leave us. Mother, we're seeing something not of this world. Father, don't let them leave us. But the professor's wife. Release her. Yes. Lisa, Charles. Father, we must follow Lisa and Charles. No. Don't you understand? Don't you understand? But what do you mean? Those two. They're not really alive. Your daughter, Lisa, and the boy. Not alive? They're dead. They've been dead for two days. My husband, he used them for experiments. Human experiments. What are you saying? They were dead. I saw them die. Santos forced me to witness. They came back tonight to save you. Lisa! They're spirits? Yes. They're spirits walking about as though they were alive came back and saved you from a similar fate. How horrible. I saw them earlier tonight, walking on the stairs. I screamed with horror of it. Then it was you who screamed, not Lisa. Yes, it was I, screaming at the horror of two dead souls taking shape, coming back for revenge. Justice to the mad professor and his bloodthirsty servant. <laughs> Turn on your lights. Turn them on. <laughs> I'll be back. Pleasant dream. <laughs> Places and occurrences mentioned in the hermit's cave are fictitious, and similarity to persons, places, or occurrences is purely accidental. The Hermit's Cave, on Tuned to Yesterday from the early 1940s, a syndicated broadcast. You're listening to an hour of horror on Tuned to Yesterday. I'm your host, Mark Livionier. Now, in terms of radio scheduling, Sunday night at 7 was probably the toughest time in radio, as throughout the 1940s it kicked off a block of Jack Benny, Edgar Bergen, and Charlie McCarthy, and the Fred Allen Show, all on NBC. And the mutual broadcasting system's answer to this was The Mysterious Traveler. We'll hear a broadcast from that series next called If You Believe, penned by Robert A. Arthur, the main writer of the series. This first heard on December 29, 1946. The Mysterious Traveler. This is the Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, and it will thrill you a little and uh, chill you a little. So settle back and get a good grip on your nerves. If you can. Where are we going? Why, tonight we're going on a little excursion into the realm of pure imagination. You've all heard the old saying, believe in a thing enough and it'll come true. Well, suppose, just suppose many people came to believe in something, something that couldn't possibly be real. 
such as an artificial monster growing in a scientist's laboratory. What would happen? Well, if you want to know what might happen, uh, listen to the story I call... If You Believe. My story begins in a rambling old house deep in the woods. In a homemade laboratory, gray-haired Professor Jonathan Davis is peering eagerly into a large glass container that holds an odd, transparent, jelly-like substance. Ellen! Oh, Ellen! Yes, sir? Ellen, come quick. I'm coming, dear. What is it? Ellen, look. I think... I think I succeeded at last. Oh, Dan. You look. Your eyes are better than mine. Yes, yes. Isn't there movement in the protoplasm this time? Isn't it stirring just a little? No, Dad. There isn't any movement. No? You're positive, Ellen? I I was sure I saw some sign of light. I'm quite positive, Dad. Now, please, won't you admit that what you're trying to do is impossible? No, Ellen. No, I will succeed. I know it. Now, come. We've got to try another feeding mixture. You hand me the saline solution and dextrose, and I'll begin again. But while Professor Davis labored in his lonely seclusion to make a lifelong dream come true, something that was to affect him vitally was happening in the editorial room of the largest newspaper in the nearby city. Very does, Benson speaking. Oh, oh, hello, Mr. McGuire. Yes? Well, yes, sure, I've been reading Dan Duncan's special features. I edit them. I see. You don't think they've been colorful enough lately, huh? Well, to tell the truth, I agree with you. I've been meaning to speak to him about it. Yes. Sure, I'll do it now. He just came in. Right. Good night, Mr. McGuire. Hey, Dan. Yeah, Joe. What cook? The big boss just phoned down. What's he want? Well, frankly, he thinks you're slipping. McGuire thinks I'm slipping. Well, I like that. That's what he said. And I've done everything to get hot material except to go out and commit a murder myself. Well, maybe he's tired of murders. You want to know why you don't turn up something like that haunted house story you did last spring? Why, I don't. <laughs> that was a good story, wasn't it? It was a honey. Yeah. Especially the description of the way the ghost of the drowned girl walked around the house, leaving wet spots where it stepped. You know, I caught a heck of a cold walking around in wet socks. Make those footmarks? No more than you deserve for faking a story. You're faking a story. Listen, Benson, any time a million readers believe a story, it's true. And they believed in that ghost. Every one of them. I'm not saying they didn't, but McGuire wants another story just as good. I've got a good mind to tell the old buzzard to fly a kite. Another story like... Hey. Huh? What is it? I think I got it. Hey, Ted. Ted Jones. Oh, yeah, Dan. Front and center. Oh. Yeah, what is it, Dan? All right, dump your camera on the desk and sit. Okay. Now, tell me, what was that story you told me last week about some professor living up in the woods back of town, never coming out of his private lab? Oh, you mean uh, Professor Davis? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Oh, well, what about him? There was a fuss over something he said in a lecture one day, wasn't there? A fuss? Oh, it was more like an explosion. Hey, wait a minute. I remember that case. The professor claimed he could create an artificial man, wasn't that it? Oh, no, 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 no. He said that an artificial man might be produced someday. Uh, might be. Well, the paper said he claimed he could create one. Yeah, I know. Well, it made a good story, didn't it? And drove Professor Davis out of the university into retirement. Oh, the school didn't like the publicity. Water under the bridge, kid. Anyway, here's the old professor working away secretly for the last five years. All alone? No, no, he, he wasn't all alone. His daughter Ellen's with him. How old is she? Oh, she was 15 then, so... She's 20 now. Good looker? Well, I was in Professor Davis's class... I remember as a, well, a skinny brat with uh, yellow hair. Yeah, good, a blonde. So here's the prof secretly working with his beautiful blonde daughter at what? I'll bite. What? Why, he's trying to prove he was right. He's trying to create a, an artificial man. Say, you've got something there. Oh, no, wait a minute. You don't know Professor Davis is trying to create artificial life. Well, we soon will. You know where his hideout is, don't you? Yeah. Okay. All right, then grab your camera. Let's get going. Oh, no, wait a minute, Dan. Suppose you find Professor Davis is... Ah, oh, forget it. Benson, save me two columns. Come on, Ted. 
We're on our way. There, Evans. It's done. Now we must warm it ever so gently. It'll stay at blood heat until morning. And then, Ellen. Oh, I hope so, Dad. But, darling, if you fail again, won't you please promise me to stop trying to create this artificial protoplasm? Well, we'll talk about that in the morning. Now, uh... Oh, who could that be? I'll go see, Dad. Yes? I'm Ted Jones, Miss Davis. I don't suppose you remember me. Ted Jones? Oh, you were one of Father's students, weren't you? Yes, that's right. I'm a newspaper photographer now. Oh. Uh, could we come in? I have a friend with me, a reporter. Ellen, who is it? Uh, newspaper men, Dad, they want to see you. Newspaper men, don't let them in. Send them away. All right, come now, Professor. We just want to ask you a couple of questions, and uh, but we can talk better inside, so... Uh. There. Now we can talk like friends. Hey, but, Dan, we weren't invited in. How dare you force your way in here? Get out, both of you. Please go. Dan, come on. Professor Davis doesn't want to talk to us. Keep your shirt on, Ted. Just a couple of questions, Professor. Now, isn't it true that hidden away here, you're creating artificial life? I won't answer your question. You just print more lies and ruin everything I'm trying to do. Then you are creating artificial life, huh? Young man, Tell I... me how far you've got. You figuring on springing an artificial man on us one of these days? You fools. While I still struggle to create synthetic protoplasm, you talk of artificial men. Go, go before I throw you out. Please, go, please. Come on, Dan, we're leaving. Okay, we're going. Thanks for the interview, Professor. Read all about it in tomorrow's church. The imbeciles. What do they know of science? All they want is to cheapen my work. Make it a sensation for the headlines. Please, Father, you must get control of yourself. They've gone now. Yes, yes, they are. They shan't interfere with my work. Come, we must adjust the heating. Ellen. Ellen. Yes, Dad, what is it? Ellen, the mixture's moving. This time I'm sure of it. The protoplasm. It's alive. Say, Dan, this is something. Behind bolted doors deep in the woods... Professor Jonathan Davis toils night and day to create the world's first synthetic man. In a great vat lies a strange caricature of humanity. It has a head, arms, legs, a body, all of them fashioned of a pale green substance like gelatin. Nice touch, huh? Day by day, life stirs more strongly in this grotesque creation of science. Someday it may breathe, walk, eat, now, look, Dan, aren't you going pretty strong? Ah, forget it. The old man wants a story, doesn't he? Besides, the professor really is working on synthetic protoplasm. Maybe he has got a pale green monster in his bathtub. How do I know? Okay, Dan, but you're, if you're faking this story, I know nothing about it. Faking it? You know I never fake stories. Okay. We'll set this up and put it in the press wires. By noon tomorrow, 40 million people will be believing in Professor Davis' artificial monster. By noon tomorrow, I'll be believing in it myself. <laughs> And so, all over the nation, people read the story and marveled and believed, while in the laboratory hidden in the woods. Ellen, look, this time, this time it is alive. It is. There can be no doubt of it. Melissa. He's certainly moving, Dad. Yes, see? And the protoplasm is breathing. Listen. You can hear it. I've created artificial life, Ellen. Yes. I'm afraid, Dad. Afraid? So what do you mean? I'd like to see their faces out at the university when they hear of this. It's grown since last night. Yes, it has. The cells are multiplying. Like true protoplasm. That's why I transferred it to this gas tank. Now I'm that salt, acid, phosphorus. Oh, that that must be grocery boy. Excuse me, Dad. Yes? Oh, you... Uh, Miss Davis, I hope that you'll let me apologize. We have nothing to say to you. Please don't shut the door before I explain. Explain? There's nothing to explain. You force your way in here... I and... came to apologize for that. Well, 
Have you seen the morning papers? We're not interested in the papers. I'm afraid you'll be interested in this one. Look. Oh, how outrageous. That story of your father creating an artificial man is in every paper in the country, and I... Well, I feel I'm to blame, and I want to make up for it. Can I come in so we can talk? I guess you'd better, Mr. Jones. But Dad mustn't see this paper. Oh, no, no, of course not. Won't he recognize me? No, I don't think so. He's very nearsighted. I'll just tell him that you used to be one of his students. And if you'll tell me the real truth, I'll try to get the paper to understand that Dan Duncan just made up his story. Who is it, Ellen? Uh, it, it's Ted Jones, Dad, one of your former students. He, he called to say hello. Jones, eh? Jones? Yes. Ted Jones? Oh, yes, yes, of course. Organic chemistry, wasn't it, Jones? Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> You're the one who kept breaking things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jones, I, I have something here you'd be very interested in. Come and see. Yes, sir. Look. That's stuff in the tank. It has to be alive. Mm-hmm. It is alive. Synthetic protoplasm, my boy, the first ever created. It's breathing. Yes, and it's also growing. Life becomes stronger by the moment. It, it's changing color, Dad. It's becoming a pale green. Yes, growing fast. Very fast. I never dreamed that success would come Hello, so completely. Well, Hiya, Dan. I thought I'd find you here. Why, Dan. Dan Duncan himself. Hiya, Professor. What do you want here? Oh, just a few pictures. Shot of you in your lab, so far. You have the nerve to come here after what you've done. What I've done? You haven't seen anything yet. You and your father are big news now. You're going to be bigger. Dan, you'd better go. Better go? I don't follow you, kid. I said you'd better go. There isn't any story here for you. No story? Hey, what's eating you? Aren't you here to get a follow-up? No, I came here to get the truth. Something you wouldn't be interested in. Hey, what kind of talk is that? Are you going to go or will I have to throw you out? Throw me out? Now listen, kid. You want me to try it? All right, I will. Okay. Okay, I'm going. Take your hands off. But don't think you can get away with this. You're fired. And that's all right with me. And as for you, Professor, you and your artificial man are going to be so well-known in a day or two, you'll be getting offers from Hollywood. And so, with each edition of the papers, the headlines grew bigger. The telegraph wires carried editorials condemning Professor Davis. Is it a man or is it a monster Professor Davis has created? By his refusal to answer questions, the professor led us to suspect that he's created... Radio commentators spread the story to still more listening millions. A strange substance like pale green gelatin. Now it moves and stirs in its confinement, seeking to escape. This strange creation of the history... And speakers denounced Professor Davis. And I ask you, can science be permitted to venture into these forbidden realms unchecked? Who knows what horror may emerge from the laboratory if we are not careful? This mad thing must be stopped. Stop! Who is this? Oh, it's me, Ted. Oh. Ted, did you have any trouble? No, no, I got the medicine for your father, all right, and I... I brought the evening papers, too. What do they say? <clears throat> Pretty bad. They're all using Duncan's story, and he shot the works. Ted, how can he do such a thing? Well, he's a very plausible writer. He has a knack for making people believe him. If anybody accuses him of lying, you'll just say that he was misled by your father. I see. I'm sorry you lost your job trying to help us. That doesn't matter. I was about ready to quit anyway. How is your father now? He seems to be sleeping quietly. Well, I'm sticking around until he's all right again. Well, you don't have to do that, Ted. I'll make up. Well, if I hadn't gotten into that fight with Duncan, your father might not have had his stroke. No, it was just the excitement. It's his heart, but I know how to take care of him. But, Ted, I... I'm frightened. About your father? No. No, about it. The protoplasm. Oh. It's changed just since this morning. It's changed? But how? It's grown and... Oh, come on, see All right. Oh, and the seems to be taking on shape. Yes, and it looks... Oh, Ted, it looks like green gelatin. The way Justin describes it. And look, there's a vague shape like a head and, and the rough outline of arms and legs. Oh. oh, it isn't possible. It shouldn't be, but it's happening. 
Something terrible is taking place inside that glass tank. I don't understand. Your father certainly never intended to create this. You know, all afternoon I've been wondering if father really has created it. I don't follow you, Ellen. You mean some outside force might be responsible? Ted, you know the old saying, believe in a thing enough and it'll come true. Yes, of course. Well, I think that's true. The power of belief is a tremendous thing. People begin to believe that, well, that there's going to be a depression, and there is a depression. But, Ellen... They begin to believe that strangers and foreigners are enemies, and pretty soon they are enemies. They believe there's going to be a war, and war comes. Well, that's true, but what are you getting at? How many people are reading Dan Duncan's story this very minute, right now, while we're talking? Oh, hundreds of thousands, probably, all over the nation. Maybe a million. And they all believe it's true. Well, a good many of them. Yes, Dan has a genius for being plausible. Then don't you see, Ted? Here in this laboratory is the necessary material for a monster. And out there are all those people believing in such a fantastic monster. You mean... You mean a million people are thinking life into the protoplasm? Yes, Ted. I know it sounds fantastic, but... That monster was never created by my father. Dan Duncan created it when he wrote about it. Well, if that's true... There's no other answer. Over there in that glass tank is something that's alive only because millions of people believe it's alive. No, it is alive. There's no telling what it may become. Ellen, we have to destroy it. It'll break Dad's heart, but we can't let it live. But it's growing bigger by the minute. We've got to get rid of it now before it grows any larger. There's acid in those bottles. There, that'll destroy it. All right. Yeah, yeah, I see. Here. Just as soon as I get it open, it'll take care of the creature. Be careful, Ted. It, it can burn you dreadfully. Ellen, Ellen, what's happening? What are you doing? Dad... Darling, you're supposed to be in bed. Yeah, I'm feeling better. I wanted to see how the protoplasm was. Please go back to bed, Dot. Your heart. Oh, my heart's all right, but I must be sure. Oh, it changed. Taken on a form. Yes, Professor, a monstrous, unnatural form. It has a head, arms, legs. But it can't have it. It's only protoplasm. It's all impossible. Unfortunately, it's true. I can't explain now, but, well, we've got to destroy it. no. No, the combination of my life's work. You can't destroy we it. We must, then. No, no, I won't let you. It's the only thing to do. Professor, look at it. It's crawling around inside the tank now. It's trying to climb out. But it can't be dangerous. It's just harmless protoplasm. Dad, Ted is right. You've got to let us kill it. It's just protoplasm, I tell you. It was just protoplasm. Stand back, Professor. I'm going to empty this acid on No, no, you mustn't. I won't. Dad! Dad! Professor Dad! Davis! Thank you. He fell against the tank and broke it. Is he hurt, Ted? Oh, I'll see. Oh. Ted, the protoplasm is moving toward him. We've got to get him out of here. I have his arms. Quick, you take his feet. I have his right. Oh, hurry up, Ted. He's trying to crawl out of the tank. We've got to get him upstairs. Can you manage it? Yes, yes. Stop. All right, easy, now, easy. All right, just a little farther. All right, one more step, Ellen. There. Now, here's the landing. We can, we can put him down here. Now, easy. Easy. Ted, I can't find his pulse. Let me try. Dad? Ted's no use. He's gone. I'm afraid so. His heart failed him. I've always known it would someday. <laughs> Ted, down in the laboratory. Look, it's gotten out of the tank and it's crawling all around the lab. And the only way out is down those stairs and through the lab. We're trapped up here. Look, I'm not saying it isn't a good story, Dan. It's a whale of a story. But McGuire wants some pictures. Pictures? How can I get pictures? I can't even get into the place. I don't care. Just get them. You want me to bust in the window, I suppose? Let your conscience be your guide. And I know you haven't got a conscience. Make it fast. I want those shots for the late morning edition. All right. I'm going. With a camera in one hand and a bunch of skeleton keys in the other. Let's looking for food, Ted. Yes, and it's getting frantic. 
Look how it crawls back and forth through the lab. It's been doing that for an hour now. Look how enormous it's grown. Suppose it tries to come up these stairs to this balcony. Well, it may not. It, it has no eyes, no intelligence. It, it's just protoplasm, blindly seeking food. But suppose it does try to come up the stairs. Well, then we'll stop it. I have the gun here that I found in your father's desk. I'll use that on it. I don't think it would even feel a bullet. Well, we'll see. It's on the other side of the lab now, in plain sight. Stand back there. I'll try a couple of shots. I hit it. It didn't even notice. Oh. If we could only reach those bottles of acid, that would fix it. But every time we've started down the stairs, it's, it's rushed over to wait for us. I feel the vibrations, but... I'm going to take one more try. Ted, please be careful. Yes, I will. Tiptoe down one step at a time. Perhaps I can avoid attracting its attention this time. What's it doing now? Lying quiet, as if it was listening. Only lie quiet a few seconds more. I'm almost at the bottom. Ted, quick! It's coming this way! It almost got yes, you. Yes, it did touch my foot, but I wasn't interested in getting any better acquainted. What are we going to do now? I don't know. I don't know, Evelyn. I wonder if it would make any difference if we turned out the lights. They can be controlled from up here, can't they? Oh, yes, but what good would that do? Well, in the dark, it might become inactive. Some elementary organisms are like that. Well, we can try it. Okay, I'll, I'll turn out the lights. There. Pitch black now. But it's still moving around. Well, just wait a moment. What is it, Tim? I heard footsteps outside the house. Footsteps? Let's listen. Someone coming in the front door. Yeah, there's someone in the lab. But who would put heaven's own? Duncan, is that you, Dan? Dan, answer me. Is that you? Get out. Get out. Quick. Okay, but, Dan, you don't understand. It's loose. Get away, quick. Ellen, turn on that light. Yes, Dan. <laughs> you can't scare me, kid. I came to get a picture, and I'm going to get it. <gasps> run, Dan, run. run. Ellen, Ellen, don't run. Don't run. We've got to save. Quick, Ellen, the ass. Hurry, Dan, hurry. Here, you take this one. I'll take one. We'll break them over it, understand? Yes, Dan. Well, come on, then. Eating him. Oh, and throw your bottle now. Don't feel it bad. Fortunate enough to kill anything. The acid is burning into it. It's killing it. Ellen is dying. It's not moving anymore. It's not breathing either. We've killed it starting to melt away. It's dissolving. Now that it's dead, it's turning back into the liquid it started from. The substance that the belief of millions gave an unreal life to. It's gone back to a liquid now. There's nothing left of it. It's gone as if it had never existed. Except for Dan Duncan. Oh, dear. There's nothing we can do for him, Ellen. He's dead. Created the monster... This is the mysterious traveler again. Well, maybe it's true about believing in things and making them happen. Wars and depressions and uh, artificial monsters and things like that. I think I'll make a New Year's resolution to be careful what I believe in 1947... No more believing in bogeymen or spooks. I might meet one. Instead, I'll try believing in some of the uh, some of the nicer things for a change, such as peace and goodwill among nations. Well, if I can get enough people to join me, maybe they'll come true. And oh, you'll have to get off here. I'm sorry, but I'm sure we'll meet again. I take this same train every week at this time.
just heard The Mysterious Traveler, a series of dramas of the strange and terrifying. In today's cast were Maurice Toplin, Chuck Webster, Louise Fitch, Wendell Holmes, Edgar Staley, and Bill Smith. And now, a preview of next week's strange and shivery story by The Mysterious Traveler. It's only two days now to New Year's Eve. Were you planning a big celebration to greet 1947? I'd be careful if I were you. Because, you see, our story next week is about a man who did just that. In fact, it was such a big celebration that when he got over it, it wasn't 1947 at all, but 1948. He lost a whole year out of his life. And when he finally got the year back, well, what happened to him shouldn't happen to a werewolf. So take it easy, New Year's Eve, so you'll be sure to be on hand next week for the strange and terrifying tale I call New Year's Nightmare. The Mysterious Traveler is presented from our New York studios. Carl Caruso speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. The Mysterious Traveler, on Tune to Two Yesterday from December 29, 1946, on the Mutual Broadcasting System. That wraps up this hour of horror. On Tune to Two Yesterday, be sure to be with us next time for more great broadcasts from radio's past. Until our next hour together, I'm Mark Levonier. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.